Cats. We are joined now by Bearcats head coach John Brandon. Coach, uh, what was the bottom line tonight? Uh, just an undisciplined, undisciplined week, week of practice. It was good. We practiced hard, but we were undisciplined. We took steps back defensively. The first four games coming out of COVID shutdown. Uh, we were we were intense. Um, you know, I, I was I was I was uh, pretty nice in practice this week. Uh, this group's got to. We're, we're just you know we got to. I got to. I got to get the toughness piece out of them. And again, we're, we're tired. I get we lose Mike. You guys are playing way too many minutes. We have no bodies right now. Uh, but that, but that, that's not the reason. I mean, we let we let Pippen get going. They had seven first half threes. Vanderbilt, when they win games, they make 12 threes per game, right? When they lose, they made less than seven. They made seven in the first half. So I, I knew the formula, and I was watching it. That the formula that they had tonight was how they win games. So one, as, as you watch that, it was going to be tough to turn the tide. We just didn't have enough in us in the second half to do that. But we made some horrific offensive decisions late in the game that really hurt us. Um, you know, I was just opening the floor. We weren't really running anything. Uh, because they, they, you know, they, they were guarding ball screens a certain way, so we were able to get skips across the floor. You know, some guys shared it, some guys didn't. You know, overall, just not disciplined enough. And that's on me. I was, I wasn't disciplined with this group enough this week in practice. But then again, I, you know, this time of year with COVID and stuff, you got to try to get into the games. Coach, it seems as if, as as good as we've seen certain players, in particular Tari Eason, his turnovers have been worrisome. Six today, and he also fouled out for the fourth time this year. Yeah, they're the freshmen. I mean, it's, you know, you, that's why I was when I was a freshman. I, you know, I'm assuming you were. The bottom line is we're young. And we made, I mean, the mistakes he made at the end were young mistakes, but I'm letting him play through them. And he's going to be a great player. He's a really good player. And uh, he'll have a chance to continue to play through mistakes. And hopefully we'll clean him up and practice a little bit more. And maybe they'll be, the, the, our young guys got to have a more respect for practice. Because mm -hmm. the, the, the stuff, the, some of the turnovers we had, we did exactly that in shoot around today. Exactly that. But our young guys just don't quite have enough respect for practice. As you mentioned, Mike Saunders uh, did not play in the second half after playing 17 minutes in the first, and we didn't see him come out. What happened? Uh, I guess he rolled his ankle in the last play, last kick out, last kick out three to Mason. He rolled his ankle, and uh, he had to be carried to the locker room after the game was over. Coach, you got you got an opportunity. You're down seven, and you're ready to crack into that lead a little bit, and. And it seems like you went to the free throw line and it was going to be a two-shot foul. It turned out to be a one-and-one, and, one and you missed the front end of the one-and-one. One. Did you think it was a two-shot foul? Well, I don't remember which play it was. Who was it on? Uh, Tari went to the line to shoot. Are you talking about yeah. The, the – yeah. So Tari went to the line and wound up shooting a one-and-one. One. The scoreboard showed 10 team fouls. The officials changed it and then made it a one-and-one. One. It turns out it was 10, so it should have been a two-shot foul. Oh. Officiating gap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't want to get fined. Yeah, can't right. blame you for that. All right, Coach. Well, where, where do you go from here? You got a game on Sunday. Well, I mean, this this game. Yes. So we could play, not practice. Yes, a throw-in game. Right. So it really doesn't matter, but it does matter because I want to win every game. But bottom line is, we've got our seating already for the conference tournament. But you have to, the best teams going conference tournaments. The teams that are playing the best win conference tournaments. That's right. So I've got to get them to where you know I've had a lot of experience in these tournaments. So we got I got to get them to where we're sharper and more disciplined on Friday at three o'clock. So that requires us to go down to East Carolina and do the things that allow us to hopefully win the game and push forward. But the bottom line is this Friday. Next Friday is where we got to be at our best. Your last two conference championships that you actually played in conference tournaments, you won, didn't get a chance to play last year. Do you feel like if you some straighten some things out, you have a chance to compete for the Without championship? Question. Without question. We all got to stay together. We got to get healthy. I mean, you know, right now, the second half, Mike Adams-Woods played 40 minutes. 
So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, part of it's that. We were just not healthy. We don't have any bodies. So if we can get healthy, Mike can get back, then absolutely, I think so. But we got to clean up some things. We got to be more disciplined. Coach, appreciate the time. Thank Thanks you so. very much. Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, bud? You know, it is a great day to be a Scotty Pippen Jr. fan. Just kidding. It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. (laughs) Dark turn, not funny, uh, but that's why you're on the podcast. Hummer, we're also joined by a special guest, a returning guest, someone near and dear to our hearts, who is now on a very high-quality microphone. And I can't wait for people to hear this man's voice on a professional-level microphone. It's Prepare yourselves. Grab onto your couch. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. Corey Sims, former Bearcat basketball manager. He's on the line. Corey, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. But this is this is a tough bar, you know, to tough shoes to fill here. You're you're hyping it up way too much. Okay. You are a uh you're a sensational person to talk to. You're well informed about the Bearcats basketball program. You have experience <clears throat> uh working for the former coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats. Now he coaches out in California, as we've talked about plenty before. Uh, but it's good to have you on the podcast. We wanted to see how this, you know, admittedly, part of the reason we're doing this is to see if your microphone worked uh, to try and get things set up. It didn't actually go according to plan for people listening at home. We're kind of improvising on the fly. I still think Corey sounds good. We'll hash out all the details after this. But uh, let's talk a little bit about what we just saw or what we just listened to. And uh, that is the Bearcats game against Vanderbilt. Hey, Coomer, can I jump jump in real quick? Yes. <laughs> because this is a perfect fitting story since we just played Vanderbilt. Okay, go ahead. At, at the Maui Invitational, the, the Sunday before it started, they had um, they had all the they had a big banquet and Rafferty was the MC and they had all the coaches come up and and talk and give a little spiel about the different teams. And the way I feel right now is the way Kevin some um Kevin Stallings, you know, the, the coach of Vanderbilt at the time. Yes. He comes up to the mic and people are clapping and, and welcoming him. And he goes, whoa, it's like I uh, really, really did not expect that big of a hand. <laughs> Same thing I said to my proctologist. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's how I'm feeling right now with that introduction to the podcast. <laughs> That is the most topical and pertinent story I think you've ever told. Uh, <laughs> you were able to relate it to Vanderbilt, Kevin Stallings, uh, and then you took it to a place that, frankly, I just wasn't prepared for. But thank, <laughs> thank you, thank you for that. Sounded painful. Um, <laughs> I am now going to be putting on my latex glove, and I'd like to ask you to let's get into the game. All right, uh, Vanderbilt just beat the Cincinnati Bearcats seventy-eight sixty-four. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Um, Scotty Pippen Jr. beat the Bearcats. <laughs> it pretty much played 35 minutes, 10 of 13 from the field, 
five of six from three, a career high for him, 36 points. 11, 11 for 12 from the, th- the free throw line. I think, I think we got to give him props for that. And yeah, it's pretty sensational performance from him. Bearcats didn't put much of a, didn't, didn't do much to really thwart his efforts. Um, but look, you know, it's a game that the Bearcats scheduled last minute. They obviously had the SMU game canceled. Brandon worked to get another game. This is the game that they got a, uh, a home game against the, I think entering the game, there were three and 12 in the, in the SEC. Do I have that correct? Three and 12 fact checkers out there. Mm. God, you got me on the spot here. I'm almost confident that's correct. Okay. Yeah, they are. Uh, they are now eight and 14 overall, which means they came into the game seven and 14 and they were three and 12 in the SEC last place. So, you know, Ken Palm has them as number 100, one spot above the Bearcats. They proved that they were, uh, the far superior team today. Let's uh, let's kind of seed the floor to Corey based on what I think you were mostly listening, but what, what, do, what, what are your takeaways from a game like this, Corey? I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure that, that the fans out there can see the tiny violin that I was just playing as you were making excuses. Right. I so, wasn't making excuses. I was, you, you, you were, fact. you were, you were, you were making excuses. Right. And that's, I honestly feel like this has been a season when I talk to Bearcat fans that all I hear are excuses, right? Oh, it's COVID. Oh, we've had this. Oh, we've had that. Oh, we just scheduled this. Every team in the country is playing with the same challenges that we are. And we've had guys leave the team. We've had guys underperform. And now we're getting beat by the Commodores, the powerhouse of the SEC Commodore (laughs) basketball. They don't even play in a real basketball arena, right? So um, I don't know, man. Uh, Eight and 14, they were two and seven, and they came in to play UC at home. And they mopped the floor with us, right? They shot 51% from the field. Um, 23 free throws, 80% from the free throw line. They out-rebounded us by nine, uh, eight offensive rebounds. We, we turned mean, them over 16 times, yeah. and yet we still somehow managed to have more turnovers than them. And, and, and honestly, I think the most, the, the, the most problematic stat of the, of the many stats that are problematic here is getting out-rebounded by this team is, is awful. I mean, this is not a good rebounding team. They're not a particularly big team, uh, but this is what happens when you've got one. Honestly, it feels like we have one player on this team who is an above average rebounder right now, Tari Eason. And he has trouble staying on the court because of foul trouble. And frankly, even when he's not in foul trouble, probably gets 20 to 25 minutes in a game. Chris Vogt can't rebound. Uh, Mamadou Diara can actually rebound a little bit, but you know, he played a few minutes today and had three turnovers and four fouls. So this team, when John Brandon goes on his radio show and describes it as the best defensive rebounding team in the conference, I think we all know that it doesn't really matter what the stats are telling him. It's not true. This is not an elite level rebounding team. And they prove it almost every single time they go up against an athletic front court. And I would, I'm not sure I'm describing Vanderbilt as that. But when you play the Houston's and Memphis's of the world, we, we most often times give up quite a few offensive rebounds. Um, 
Yeah, look, Corey, I'm not making excuses. I want to make this clear. Uh, there, I'm not making excuses. I'm simply setting the table to explain, hey, this is why we're playing Vanderbilt on March 4th of 2021. It's not a normal thing to play an SEC team. For the folks who are casually following the Bearcats, I just want to make sure they understand why we're playing them. Um, I... Sounds, you know what? It just sounds like excuses. Let's call a spade a spade. <laughs> sounds like you're making excuses. All right. Look, at the We're, end of the day, it's the last place SEC team. We lost I, by 14 to the last place SEC team. We were favored by at tip off to win by seven with eight players suiting up tonight. And we lost by 14. Well, Vegas has been off the mark on Bearcats games all season. Oh, my God. Here's more excuses, Hummer. More excuses. Now it's Vegas's fault. They've been off the mark. Guys, guys, let's pump the brakes. I'm on your side. I have concerns. There are major concerns. All we have are concerns concerns. at this point. (laughs) All I'm saying is, like, you telling me Vegas had the Bearcats as favorites. Well, Vegas has just been drastically overrating the Bearcats throughout the entire season. I know uh, we're, uh, that text I sent you at we're, when I said it's seven. I was thinking, man, do we do we need to call need, our our connect? Do we need to call our bookie. Indiana. Do we need to call our connect in Indiana uh, to to bet um, if that was something that you were allowed doing? Um, do you sometimes well, wonder if Vegas has lost more money historically speaking on the Bearcats than any other <laughs> team out there? <laughs> I'd love what, that. Whether it's football or basketball, right? Like, like I was thinking a couple of years ago, right? Vegas had like, I don't know, we were playing Austin P in football, I think. Like, and shoot, I think we were like fourteen point favorites, and we blew them out by like forty two. So then we go to Michigan, and we were like twenty point underdogs, and we got crushed by that, right? And then Vegas was they were back and forth off all year long in football, and then. You look historically at like some of the over unders that Vegas would set under the the Micronin years, and I would just scratch my head. I'm like, have these guys watched us play all year? The over under is 140. Like, <laughs> we're, gonna we're not going to crack 50. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to win this game scoring 52, my guy. What are you doing, <laughs> Vegas? No, they've um, been off the mark all season. I here's the thing. So we enter the game. We enter the game uh, with eight scholarship players and not an excuse. Let me get to my point. The point is that in itself is something that is tied to John Brandon. John Brandon is on the hook for the number of scholarship players that he currently has available to him, right? Because Rapalus Ivanowskis, we all know the story, has bounced because he wasn't a fit with the team and he was a graduate transfer. So there's literally no incentive for him to stay and hang out playing backup minutes to Chris vote. Like that's just, I don't understand why he would do that. And he moved out to where was Lithuania. it? Was it Lithuania and is now playing professionally. Sunny uh, Lithuania. Okay. I want to make sure I'm getting the right country. I don't want to say the wrong country, but you also have, you know, a temporary opt out by Mamadou. You've lost Zach Harvey and he's clearly not coming back based on, on, on reading the tea leaves and some reporting from Justin Williams not being able to get these players to fit in and buy in. And then we had just had David DeJulius opt out, which I do want to get to. Don't let me forget to talk about the interview he did with Justin Williams. You know, we have eight scholarship players available in part because of the culture of this team. And the culture of this team is set by the head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats. And after the Houston game, our head coach is on record saying that we have a culture problem. 
Now, folks were able to kind of look past it and I think recover emotionally uh, based on some performances against Tulsa, which frankly was a very skin of our teeth victory that, you know, nine out of 10 times, it's hard to win that game given the situation we were in with 15 seconds left. We end up beating Tulane by 20, which to me, the way we celebrated that was more of an indication of how far we've fallen uh, than some of the losses we've had. And then, um, and now we're here, here we are against Vanderbilt, unless I'm missing one. Oh, we, we, have a, we have an okay, energetic, you know, Mike Saunders Jr. coming out party against Memphis. And now we have this, this loss against Vanderbilt and the Bearcats are nine and 10 now. And I guess it, it's kind of more evidence that all is not well. There's not a ton of, there's young guys that are easy to root for. Mike Saunders Jr. is incredibly likable, went out with an injury. Uh, after the first half, I hope he comes back healthy and we get to see him this year. Tari Eason, easy to root for. Mason Madsen, easy to root for. Jeremiah Davenport, another guy who's developing into a high-level player. But you don't have a lot of guys here. And I don't know that – how how are we feeling heading into next season? Like, I want to see the team improving as this season goes along. And so these games do matter. The Vanderbilts do matter because you're looking for building blocks and things to hang your hat on moving into the future. And I'd say in today's game, we got anything but that. Yeah, Coomer, I mean, I might say something very controversial here for Bearcat fans. Um, it look it at, won't be the first time it's been said <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to draw draw a correlation with Luke Fickle, and, and this is going to sound like I'm defending Brandon right now. But if you look at Fickle's first year, right, like that football team went, I think, four and eight and – we got worse as the year got on, went along. Like we did not get better at all. <clears throat> and you, you could argue that part of that was the culture change that Brandon was trying to, or uh, Figgo was trying to have with Tubbs recruits and, and guys just not buying in. And, and uh, I don't know if we're seeing some of a similar correlation, right? Like I'm going to hope that that is the case that all of a sudden um, some guys are kind of just, given up and and uh i i think what i'm most disappointed about is i have said for years uh to the kentucky fans that are that are out there right like the sec in my opinion is not a strong basketball conference and historically speaking right like kentucky obviously is is a fantastic you know program historically but i would argue that um, the SEC top to bottom is typically not that strong of a conference. And yet here we are and yeah, we're having a down year, but we're and three against the SEC in this year. And we're just lost to the last, last place SEC team. And that's a, uh, it's a tough pill to swallow for me as a Bearcat fan. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. If the SEC is, is, is garbage, even the teams we played like Tennessee might be 16 and seven, but they've, they've fallen, you know, out of favor. Heck they're, they're nine and seven in, in their conference. Georgia seven and ten. The conference is better. Look, it well, is better, better than, than it was a few years ago. The conference be is better. Be Vanderbilt better, is not part of that better though, right? <laughs> Georgia is not part of that better. Georgia is a weaker team than they've been historically, and we got you know run out of the gym at their place. I think I think the issue that we're overlooking is because people keep talking about like Fickle and what he did the first year, or they go back and they even talk about like, oh well, Cronin didn't start off too hot. These are two individuals who were handed a program basically in disarray. Completely you know, you're agree. Up, you're coming off disarray here. Brandon was handed 
the craning conference player of the year, the best defender in the league. Like Jaren, or uh, Trey Scott was Mr. Defense of the American Athletic Conference. He was a, a beast. And you were struggling to win games. You were winning games by the skin of your teeth. You weren't even guaranteed a spot in the NCAA tournament. So you can't use that as an excuse saying, oh, well, you know, he got a conference championship and, well, he, he got a CNC. No, he didn't. We had to win the conference tournament to get into to be a solid team in the NCAA. We had to win the tournament. We were only in that line because when you were winning your conference, bracketology assumes you're going to win your tournament. That's the only reason they had us in at that point. And so I'm sick of hearing that excuse. And then like, and just to get back to like even more about Brandon, he, what he said with the culture thing after Houston, he says it tonight again, undisciplined. I take the blame for that. That's great. You're taking the blame for, but you're how many games into the season. And we've seen undisciplined all season. There hasn't been discipline at all. And all of a sudden to say, well, you know, I'm really good at when we get to the conference tournament, when I'm really good, when we get there, great. You're telling me you're going to turn this ship around in one game. (laughs) <laughs> what we're, we're turning this around in one game? Uh, yeah, it, that it would be a, an absolute miracle run. Like, there's no evidence at this point to hang our hat on to say this team has the ability of going on a run and winning the conference tournament. And that's because the biggest frustration for me is that we can't seem to string together back-to-back good performances. You know, even in some of these victories we've had, it's not necessarily a good performance. It's just a skit. Uh, it's you know. It's a, it's a barely victorious pull it off somehow out of our ass victory. Uh, that was one of the most incoherent ways of saying that, but all I'm saying is there's many times our victories don't actually feel that way. I look at the stats today. The team shot 43.4% from the field. We shot nine of 25 from three, which is 36%. Both of those relative to how we typically perform as a team are actually trending like in the right direction for this program. Um, We got demolished on the boards, right? Out-rebounded by nine. We've already talked about that. And turned it over 18 times. The biggest glaring weakness, and it's been a weakness all season. Actually, it's a holy trinity of weaknesses. I'm going to mention three. It's happened again and again and again. All season. We turn the ball ball over consistently. Whether David DeJulius is playing or not, we're a team that always seems to have turnover issues. Execution is poor. We're a team that struggles with playing defense without fouling. We can get mad and complain about referees online as much as we want. This team does play defense with their hands. They reach in. They don't move their feet well. They don't always seem like they're... I don't ever see us sliding in to take charges. That play annoys me. I think it's a bad part of college basketball. It is a part of college basketball. Nonetheless, we don't, that is not in our arsenal on the defensive end. Um, And then finally, just defense in general and an ability to protect the rim. It's non-existent. And that's what happened against Vanderbilt. This team scored 47 points in the first half. And yes, it was largely driven by one player, but we we get beat up defensively. There's not a game plan here that that's coherent or that is that where you can see, okay, this is what we're really trying to do. Sometimes we're pressing, maybe we'll mix in a zone, but all in all, no matter what we're doing, we're not doing it very effectively. And what's concerning is those three problems, the Holy Trinity 
of UC weaknesses right now have not improved as the, as the season has gone along, right? The scouting report says Scottie Pippen Jr. scores 20 point, 20.5 points a game. Pretty sure he should be focused on defense. I just can't get over Father Coomer here with the holy trinity of basketball weakness. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's been it's been frustrating to me because I a, a couple of weeks back we realized okay this is not a team that's at all at all competing for the tournament right I want to if I want to get my hopes up I want to see this team start crescendoing into the American Athletic Conference tournament so that we can get you know kind of get revved up and feeling energetic and enthusiastic about pulling some upsets maybe getting into the semifinals or finals and who knows you know like just one of those kind of scenarios but that would have required seeing the team trend in the right direction and we've had in these final games one performance i'd say against Tulane i'll say it again against Tulane that was very promising where you actually saw a second half a final 10 minutes that we ran the team off the gym. The young guys look good. We're hitting shots, uh, but it, it wasn't sustained. You know, against Memphis, the one thing you can't do against that team is get get smacked around on the boards and turn the ball over. And we did both of those things. And then against Vanderbilt, they have, it's a one man show. It's it's a team with one player that you need to figure out a way to slow down. And we did we did not do that. So I'm going to try and draw a little parallel here and then see if it, you know, tie it in with a story from, from Mick's uh, fourth year, 2009, 2010. So um, <clears throat> that was Stevenson year, right? We've talked about the Maui Invitational, so we'll bring it full circle towards the end of the season. Part of me wonders that these guys, they're just tired, right? It's COVID. They, they want the season to be over, right? Like, I mean, they're human. It's easy for us to say on the outside, oh, if I was on the team, if I was wearing that jersey, I would give it my all every night, you know, the privilege they had to play, yada, yada, yada. But the reality is they're human beings. They're 18 to 22-year-old kids. And and I saw this firsthand, right? So that fourth year with Mick, you know, we were, we were right on the cusp, right? It looked like maybe we would make the tournament that year finally get back to the nc two a's and shit man i think we went uh five one and five our last six games in the regular season and all of a sudden it was became very evident um that we would have to make a run in the big east tournament if we were going to actually salvage our our nc two a hopes and so we beat rutgers on a tuesday night we beat uh Louisville on a Wednesday night, 69-66. Um, all of a sudden, we're sitting there and we're like, all right, man, we got – we're playing hugs. We're playing number seven WVU. This was a year Deshaun Butler was there and WVU went to uh, the Final Four. And we're, we're leading most of that game um, with a small lead. And all of a sudden, late in the game <clears> – <throat> I think it was tied 51 all and we either turned over WVU or we, we got a rebound. Maybe they, they, either way we had, we had the ball baselines out of bounds under our own basket and Mick takes a timeout and Deontay Bonds, a senior, you know, Lance, Yancey, Deion Dixon and Mick draws up a play and he knew right away that 
he he had Dion Deontay take the ball out of bounds, and he told Dion Dixon, I mean, at least five times, Dion, you're going to catch the ball and you're going to give it right back to Deontay because I know hugs and they're going to try and trap that first inbounds pass. You're, they're not going to put anybody on Deontay passing the ball in bounds. So as soon as you get it right back to Deontay, that's it. That's all you had to do. Okay. <clears throat> what happens? Deontay throws a ball in bounds. The double team comes. Deion Dixon panics, tries to dribble the ball up court, past the double team, dribbles the ball off his leg in front of the WVU bench. Ball goes out of bounds. Hugs calls a timeout. WVU draws up a play. Deshaun Butler hits like a 35-foot three to win 54-51 and crush our NCAA two hopes. Right? And that was it. Right? It was a classic example of guys not executing what we drew up in the huddle even though you know, Cronin saw what was going to happen. We go back in the locker room. Everybody's hanging their heads. We get in the NIT, right? All right, NIT comes around. We play Weber State in the first round of the NIT, and we win. We play Dayton the next game at fifth third, and everybody had this hyped up, right? Oh, Dayton versus UC, this is a big game. Dayton comes in and they absolutely wipe the floor with us at fifth third, right? They beat us by 15 in the second round of the NIT. And those guys, like after we lost that big East game, they were tired. They were done. They, the season, it was such a grind. They're ready for it to be over. It was about to be spring break. They, they wanted to be done. And um, I don't know. I, I wonder if that's kind of what we're seeing with this team, right? Like tonight, did they really even want to play this game? I think, you're, I think you're hitting the nail on the head, but I think we've seen that for more than just this game. Um, I think we've seen it in at spurts at times where it comes in and out of focus. Um, but I think it's especially here. Like it's definitely, that's what I think you're seeing here. I think you're going to, I think we'll beat East Carolina, but I think it's going to be a grind of a game still. And then we're going to get to this tournament. And I think it's once again, like, I think you're going to see it. There's just stuff that I think when you're reading the tea leaves with the with these guys opting out, they're opting out because they don't want to play. They they don't want to play right now, and I and I understand it's COVID. There's a lot going on. It's hard for you, you know. I just also don't think necessarily that maybe the coaching staff is making it the easiest on them because, like you mentioned earlier, we're not the only program dealing with these these environments, this this atmosphere, you know, and. So I definitely think there, there's a tinge of that of like, you know what, let's just get this over with. I'm ready to be able to hang out with my friends. I'm ready to go see my family. I'm ready to go, you know, not just have to go back to my dorm right now. I think there's a, a, a really big sense of that with this team because there, there are, there are players though who are locked in and engaged and you can see it, you know, Dave, uh, uh, Dave Julius. He's not. He's I don't not think he's very player. locked in right now. Uh, but Davin, Davenport, I thought, would look. You know, he was looking engaged at times. Keith Williams was was looking, I think, decent tonight. Uh, Mike Saunders Jr. in the first half, I thought, was looking. You know, a little bit. You know, okay with trying to trying to make stuff happen. You know, there's other players though that aren't really kind of bringing it from an, an attention span 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 standpoint. I think one of the big ones is is Tari Eason. I feel like he's a player who looks disengaged in what's going on at times. Uh, except for Tulane. Tulane, he was on fire the last that second half, but 
you know, he's making a lot of mental mistakes today. He came down the court and he threw a no look pass to the corner defender, you know, <laughs> that, like that play though, real quick, that play wasn't so much about, it was him. It was him realizing, Oh crap. The move I just made didn't work. I'm going to throw away. I want to say something. I actually think you guys are doing a disservice to the team and you're giving Brandon some slack here that you shouldn't be. I think the, I think you guys are missing the boat here. This team is playing. You didn't hear me just say, I don't think the, I think the coaching staff isn't having this environment. That's making it fun for the players to play. No, no, no. But you're, you're, you're attributing it to the wrong thing. I'm, I'm not concerned about the effort level. I actually think the team plays hard. I think the team does play hard. I think you see it, how the players compete. We've seen it game in game out. They're never not trying out there. What I'm more concerned about is it looks like a team that doesn't execute well. It looks like a poorly coached team. That's more concerning to me. You're getting plenty of effort out of the players. I have no, I have absolutely no doubt that these young guys in particular are, are going all out. I see Keith Williams out there. Keith Williams isn't, isn't slacking off. We can have gripes about Keith Williams' decision-making and some of the shot choices he makes and some of the mental lapses on defense. But if the effort is there, the effort is there for every one of these players. It's a bad executing team, and that's on the coaching staff. Why has the team not gotten better? So I think we need to stop bailing that, bailing out the coaches by saying uh, the players are checked out, they're ready, ready to go into the offseason, they're really not playing that hard. Because to me, that's blaming the players for what we're seeing on the court, when in fact the blame needs to go directly to the head coach, John Brannon, and his coaching staff. The execution is piss poor, period. And this this has come full circle. Now he's trying to say we're making excuses. You I'm are. Gonna... You are. You're missing the quote. The effort level is fine. You know that. Not... Let me make a comparison. You know that there has to be there, there's a there's a happy medium. I think John Brandon is definitely like the head of the snake here. But I think it trickles down when you have when you look. Of course, it stops right at John Brandon. That's what I'm saying. It was so yeah, but you can't say that Tari Eason is like that. John Brandon is is the reason why Tari Eason is is playing the way he's playing. He's not he is not executing, but he doesn't look like he's engaged in the game at all. If you're Based Eason, do you do you Based on do what? you come back next year? Like I've been. Thinking oh, if that. I'm if in Eason's Eason. shoes, yeah. Are you gone? It, it strictly depends on whether he believes he's going to get the development and growth that he needs at this university under the current coaching staff. You have to ask yourself that there are, there are some examples of guys growing and developing their games. Jeremiah Davenport has legitimately taken a step and is improving his skills as an offensive basketball player this season. He is, he's added more. His, his handle is tighter. His jump shot is obviously improved. He's starting to actually be a facilitator on offense, which was absolutely not a part of his game tonight. 15, six and five Trey Scott. Now I would argue Trey Scott's jump. It's hard to chalk up Trey Scott to John Brandon. I actually think Mike Rayfelt is one of the biggest influences on Trey Scott based on the physical shape. He got him in for his senior season. And, and don't get me wrong. He played in John Brandon's offense and whatnot his senior year, but, but let's face it. Like that's, you're not giving John Brandon right. more credit for Trey Scott than you are Mick Cronin or Mike Rayfeld based on the time they had with him. So there are a couple cases, but there's also cases like Chris Vogt where he is not better his senior year than he was last year. He is not, his He's skill set is same. not. He's probably about the same as he was last year. You know? Yeah, that's not good. You should be better. Um, no, I, I was making a, a, a vague point there. Micah, Micah Adams-Woods has not taken a jump this year. Keith Williams has not taken a jump this year. 
though that's hard to say whether that's the limitations of Keith Williams as the primary option. So there could be, that could be kind of the plateau that he's seeing. Um, and Mamadou Diara has clearly not gotten better under John Brandon as well. There's not a lot of examples we have, unfortunately. Um, so that's really, if you're Tari Eason, that's what you're asking yourself. Me being the Cincinnati Bearcat fan, I'm going to say absolutely he should because all the opportunity in the world is here for him to kind of take control of this program and be the, you know, the go-to in the face of Cincinnati Bearcat basketball. But at the end of the day, his answer to that question is based on what his belief is in the coaching staff. End of story. All I'm saying, fellas, is... I wanted to make one comment. When you guys, with regard to the execution versus the the energy thing, you know the internet meme? Me and Hummer talked about this earlier at halftime. There's tired and wired. Have you heard this? Tired, you know, blank, wired, blank. You know what's tired? Is blaming the Bearcats' struggles on effort and their ability to fight or talking so much about their fight and grit and effort. You know what's wired? talking about the execution of the team. That's how I look at those two things. We need to be talking more about the lack of execution, the lack of improvement, the lack of peaking at this time of year, because that's what John Brandon is supposed to be about. And it's not happening and it should happen regardless of who's on the court. I I think you're, I, I, I get it. I think, like we said, I think that it starts with John Brandon, but I think at some point there is something that has to be said that there's an effort level that has to be put on the players shoulders if they're going to execute they have to want to execute if you're not putting in the effort you're never going to get the execution i just don't think john brandon is also clear at at saying what his expectations are for getting on the court which is why we saw what 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 we have seen with these departures but like right now like i'm honestly not seeing like i i feel like you can see Tari eason just that's why he's making he, – when he's not focused, he makes those mental mistakes. He fouls out of games. When he's on, though, and he's engaged in the game, he, may, he minimizes those, mis- those mistakes, and you see that his talent starts to just blossom and explode on the court. But we, otherwise, we get games like we see tonight. You know, five fouls, six turnovers, very little production, and if anything, was more of a, of a liability on the court as opposed to an asset tonight. But you pointed this out, I think, the last podcast. If you go and you look at who's the most, uh, what would you call it, uh, basically the wins above replacement for basketball, uh, his plus minus. Our plus minus is greatest with, with Tari Eason on the court, right? He is the best box score plus minus on the team. And I think that comes because when he's playing, when he is actually engaged, his games are phenomenal and he's efficient. But when he's not engaged, his games are bad and they're, they're, they're really bad. He's not staying on the court. What if I ask this question about Tari Eason? So we're talking about Tari, you're questioning, you're putting it into questioning his effort level or engagement. And I'm saying that it's more execution. Let me ask you this. So his challenge right now is being able to play without fouling, right? Earlier in the season, when the team was struggling with foul trouble, um, after the game, John Brandon said that one of the symptoms at times of his system of defense is fouling. Has this team consistently struggled with, with fouls all season? Has Keith Williams struggled with fouls all season? Yeah, but Keith Williams has historically hasn't Chris uh, Keith Williams historically struggled with fouls? The last two seasons under John Brandon, he has. Yes. Yes. So my question is: Is Tari's fouling a lack of effort, or is it a lack of development in being taught how to play college level defense without fouling? But here's what here's what I don't buy into that is we're not playing a full court. Rick Patino, Louisville press where 
you know, it used to drive us crazy in the Big East that they would get away with so many hand checks, right? And like in a normal game, they should be called fouls, but they would foul you so much that the refs just couldn't call the, the number of fouls that they're committing because that's how aggressive they were playing on defense. We are not playing that style of defense that the fouls are a symptom of his style, right? Like, I just, I don't know that I can buy that. I'm saying that facetiously. I think that's a totally bogus comment for a head coach to make. You can't sure. just come out and say, like you said, I think if you're Rick Pitino, and you're playing this, you know, incredibly aggressive press. Sure. Maybe it's a, a symptom in those cases. And there might be some games where it bites you in the ass because officials say, look, we're not letting you do this crap today. But in our case, I think you're right. Like that's, it's a tug and cheek comment because there's no reason we should be fouling this much. What he's saying is that my team is not, we want to play man to man and my team is not moving its feet and playing, you know, defense with our legs. We're playing defense with our hands. That's been a problem for more than one player. And so in Tari Eason's case, you're a freshman. This is your first year at college ball. Isn't it like, isn't there some level of coaching? You tell me, Corey, like with your time with Mick, like, isn't there something to coaching a player how to defend without fouling? We always talk about offensive development and the coaching offense. There is coaching on the defensive side of the ball too. Like you, you are taught ways of playing in a way that allows you to be aggressive, effective, and stay on the court without foul trouble. Without a doubt. I just don't, I, and from what I've heard, I don't think that um, defense is a focus for John Brandon. I just, I really, I really don't. I think he's more, he wants to be more offensively minded. And unfortunately we're seeing a team that's realistically not really good at either. Yeah, uh, I guess and, that's just the key. We're not very good at either. Yeah, I mean, in in mix Achilles heel and in hugs Achilles heel, right? Is like realistically they they're a little offensively challenged, right? Like they just wouldn't either hand over the reins and find an assistant coach that would come in and and run a system, or we didn't realistically have the offensive firepower that that I we love wanted. it. I love that. For one thing, you're telling some truth on Mick Cronin finally, which I appreciate. But I love that you won't do it without lumping in Huggins with him, as <laughs> as though Huggins somehow is is in the same exact boat as Mick Cronin. Right? Come on, come on. Can you Stop honestly say? Can you Stop honestly that. say that Huggins had strong, offensively talented teams? <laughs> or look at WVU right now; they go through the same. Problem in 2002, the Bearcats offense was ranked number seventh per Kempom and number three in defense per Kempom. Yeah, and we lost in the second round to UCLA after blowing a 23 point lead in the second half. So, like, all I, right, I'm doing it. I can't handle this anymore. I, I thought I was <laughs> saving this for Sunday. I need to finally, I need to finally put it on the record that this. This embellishment of the Mick Cronin era as somehow being on the same level or in the same stratosphere as Bob Huggins is totally ludicrous and it needs to stop. Okay. I'm going to put it in context by running through the seedings that each coach got while coaching. Corey, I'm loving that you pulled this out of him. Like we were literally waiting. This was like, we talked like, Hey, this is great off season podcast fodder when there's nothing to talk about we're going to go through and compare teams this is going to be great because i think one of cronin's teams is better than one of 
what you would say. Don't spoil that. I want to. That is something I want to save. I don't oh, want anyone stealing that debate. Up. We're we're gonna put those two teams against each other. But I'm definitely getting I'm definitely getting ambushed here. You you've been geared up, ready to rock and roll. No, this wasn't and, for you. And, this wasn't and, for you. And I will say, this like, wasn't by, for you. This is because of you. <laughs> I am not by any stretch of the imagination trying to say that Mick Cronin's success compares to what Huggins' success was at Cincinnati. I am not trying to say that. Backpedal. Backpedaling. I've never said that. Never Every said single that. time you talk about Cronin, you bring Huggins into it as if they're one and the same. Stop. So I'm running through it. Look, here's how. Here's how this came up. This actually came up on a text thread with my uncle and my dad, and. All my dad said that made me think of this was Baylor versus West Virginia. Love watching the heavyweights. And I thought heavyweights, that's an interesting word. Heavyweights. A, Bob Huggins is absolutely a heavyweight. But B, what kind what, of- Like his waist? Like, his waist size? Well, is heavyweight or you're, no, you're physically saying. Bob Huggins is. But what Bob Huggins was able to do with the University of Cincinnati- was consistently have us as a heavyweight in college basketball. We were a major player nationally in college basketball. Now, I'm just thinking that in my head, right? I'm thinking the way I felt watching the University of Cincinnati while Bob Huggins was a coach was that we're the big kid on campus. Sure. That no matter who you are, if you come to fifth third or we go to your place, we're kicking your ass. It doesn't matter who you are. We're going to kick your ass. And so I started thinking, all right, let's just, let me think, how do I, how do I define heavyweight? So you could go, is it a one seed? Is it a two seed? Is it a three seed? Is it a four seed? I wanted to just say, all right, let's, let's call heavyweights getting a top four seed, because at that point, we're basically looking at you as a top 15 team in the country. And if you're in that ballpark, you're probably talking about beating anybody on any given night. So starting in 1992, when Huggins makes his first tournament with the University of Cincinnati, we were a four seed. We went to the final four. Heavyweight. Kim, you're going to love this. I'm, I'm like, I'm like Jerry Reagan this, so it's actually on the Facebook Live. Okay. <laughs> I got the list pulled up. <laughs> 1993, two seed, elite eight, heavyweight. 94, eight seed. 95, seven seed. I'm not giving us the heavyweight designations. I haven't yet had a chance to do the research on the context of those seasons. 96, two seed, elite eight, heavyweight. Say hi to Danny Fortson for me. 97, three seed, heavyweight. 99, three seed, heavyweight. Great Alaska shootout. We're all aware. 2000, the heaviest of the heavyweights finished with a two seed. We all know we were a one. We all know what happened. That season has, has an asterisk on it. 2001 five seed. We actually went to the sweet 16 that year, uh, got knocked out by the Collins brothers, the Collins twins, Kenny Satterfield. Uh, we're not going to classify ourselves as a heavyweight that year. Oh, two, one seed heavyweight. And then toward the end of Bob Huggins reign at UC, you see him start slipping. Oh, three, eight seed. 04, four seed, 05, seven seed. The booze was getting to him. So I run, <laughs> erroneous, I run through that list as a way of saying, God damn, that was an incredible run of basketball for the University of Cincinnati. But Take Coomer, this. Coomer, all right, so heavyweights, that's fine. 
but in his last nine seasons at the University of Cincinnati, he had seven second-round departures in the NCAA, one first-round departure, and one Sweet 16. All right? So, so I understand being a heavyweight in the regular season, but when you get to the heavyweight title – and you're getting knocked out in the first round or the second round or the third round, and you're not able to go toe to toe here. I'm just, I'm just calling a spade a spade. Like, I don't know. Can we throw in the context of the fact that the national player of the year broke his leg? And, and so the most dominant team Bob Huggins ever had at the university of Cincinnati wasn't even at full strength in the tournament. And we all know that team is not getting stopped early. All right, absolutely. So we can let's, absolutely let's agree bust, on that. Let's bust that myth. And let's also talk about the fact that when we were a one seed and we did blow that we blew that lead and it's not a game we should have lost, but regardless, that was a UCLA team as an eight seed or nine seed. I can't remember which that had Matt Barnes, Dan Gadzurik, and Jason Capono, all of which had a cup of coffee in the NBA, Matt Barnes, national, you know, NBA champion, 10 year career. Stop. Like that's a, that was a legitimately underseeded team. It, that is, we should be prosecuting whoever put them as that seed in that tournament. Um, I want to, I want to, do these sound get, like excuses to you again? <laughs> Major excuses. Well, man. I want to, let's talk about Mick Cronin's era then. All right. Because before I even get there, you're, I can already see you. You're so terrified of what about what's to come that you had to get those digs in about when we left the tournament. The point was we were absolutely heavyweights. And on any given year, those are teams that were thought of as going on big runs in the tournament. And and legitimately, you can make the case, right? You could say there's years we came up short and didn't go as far as we should have. Bob Huggins' reign at Cincinnati was incredibly successful, full of dominant heavyweight teams. That's that's absolutely fine. I'm just going to say the facts are the facts. You can say we shouldn't have, we could have, whatever you must say. Cronin took us to nine NCAA tournaments. I'm getting there. All right. I'm getting there. Only got past the second. Let me run through Cronin. He got got to one sweet 16 in nine years. In Huggins' last nine years, he took us to one sweet 16. I'm not saying that we didn't have better teams under Huggins. We absolutely did. What's so weird about Mick Cronin, guys, is you compare Bob Huggins' last nine years for some reason to Mick Cronin's first. Why aren't you comparing Bob Huggins' first nine years to Mick Cronin's first nine years? First of all. First of all, let me go through. I'm going to go on the record and say I'm not a Mick Cronin guy. You wore a fucking UCLA sweatshirt on the podcast. Yeah, and and then I wasn't invited back for a month. I was stuck in purgatory. Just waiting by the phone like a high school girl trying to get asked to the junior prom. Let me let me go through Mick Cronin's this years. This is the greatest thing I've ever heard. I love Let this. me go through his nine years. <laughs> 2011, six seed. 2012, six seed, sweet 16. 2013, 10 seed. 2014, five seed. 2015, eight seed. 2016, nine seed. 2017, six seed. 2018, two seed. Heavyweight. We were a heavyweight that year. That was a top five team. I'm, I'm going to stop there. I can't bear to that take was it the best. Further. That was the best team in 17 years. 2019, seven. Are you crying? No. <laughs> I just, I know what Hummer's doing. 
2019. I'm trying to go this because I think that's the best team that that the well, uh, best Cincinnati so Bearcat team in, in 17 years. Me and Hummer, me and Corey are having a little battle here over Cronin Huggins, but I, this is actually going into a different theme. This is not really, I wasn't doing this as a way to make it Cronin versus Huggins necessarily, though that was a side effect. Um, the point was, you look at that run, we didn't tip, we didn't consistently have heavyweight teams, right? We were beating up on a lot of bad schools teams that were able to get good records, but we didn't play in a good conference. And we always had, um, you know, puff pastry, non-conference schedules, but we did have one season where we were truly a heavyweight team and we lost in the second round and blew a 22 point lead. Now here's here's the problem with Huggins guys is they act like we played this top tier schedule every year. We're in conference USA in the Metro conference and his non-conference schedule was never great. And it right? didn't matter. We were still heavyweights. <laughs> they were cupcake teams. That's what cracks me up is everybody wants to sit there and act like, oh man, you know, uh, the scheduling under so-and-so has been poor. It's always been the same. You have to play 10 teams a year. That That's just the, it's the financials of the way the NCAA works in basketball. And and I guarantee you, if this you sounds, go back, this, this sounds like excuses. <laughs> I I guarantee you. Here's your next homework assignment: <laughs> pull up, pull up the schedules from those late '90 years under Huggins in the early 2000 years, and compare strength of schedule and look at some of the non-conference opponents. And I think you'd be surprised. And then compare it to the teams we were playing in the Conference USA versus the teams that we were playing in in the Big East, right? Like you you couldn't have the same strong non-conference type of play in the Big East, especially the under the first five years of rebuilding the program, right? You actually and, could. That, that's a misnomer. You actually could have a good non-conference schedule. Big-time programs do it all the time. Um, Mick chose not to. That was his method. His, his method was not playing good teams in the non-conference, and that's fair. I, actually, I think it's I think it's unfair to say that we never played good teams, right? Because I, it's not true. You're right. During the Big East run was something that Huggins never dealt with at UC, right? So, but even even on a non-conference standpoint, and there were you know, here's the other thing that people forget. I think sometimes, right? Like, 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 look at UC football, for instance. We scheduled Nebraska this year, right? Like when we made that, did we think that Nebraska was going to be awful in football? No, you didn't, right? Like there were times where we were scheduling teams in basketball, same thing where you didn't expect Oklahoma and all of a sudden some of these teams to just like fall off the map and not be quality opponents, right? And and that's not an excuse that everybody deals with that <laughs> in, in any given year. Um. Uh, Again, all right. I'm, so we did this on the fly, and holy cow, you're gonna hate this. O two. I just went from O two because that's I'm and I'm all solely based off chem. I'm not gonna hate anything. I just proved my point. There's heavyweights. Yeah, no, there's no, 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 no. But all right. So O two. Our strengths overall. Uh, SOS. Fifty seven. Fifty one. Sixty six. Seventy one. And O five. In O six. Seventeen. 07, 57, 08, 11, 42, 14, 55. Can we screenshot your face? We had tougher schedules in the Big East, obviously, because I wasn't saying we didn't. I'm talking quality of team, boys. Look at the seeding in the in the fucking NCAA tournament. 
My point is, and when you look at it, so now you talk about John Brandon's first two years. And John Brandon, first year is a is an N slash A, though we were a bubble team at best, right? When the season got canned, we were a bubble team at best. This season, we're a DNQ, did not qualify. If you look at tra- the trajectory of Bearcat basketball from 1992 to now, are you a bit concerned? The, what year did we join the American Athletic Conference? Is that 14? I think I think what we're learning is that if you don't have someone incredibly special like Bob Huggins leading your program and you're in the American Athletic Conference, you're you're in trouble. Like it's 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 tough sledding out here. I think that's Oh, I I agree with that completely. That's you, you I actually think that. that's the bigger that's the biggest takeaway from this. I'm having fun with you on the Cronin Huggins stuff cuz I love doing it. But I think the bigger picture conversation You know, here, you know actually I like this. I like this. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you because we we're talking about Cronin's 9 years that he made the tournament. Let's go to those strength of schedules. 55, 39, 92, 87, 77, 80, 87, 67. Because, guys, let's all unite around this fact. It's really freaking hard to be an elite college basketball program as the American Athletic Con- in the American Athletic Conference without an absolutely elite stud head coach. I will agree with that at, at, you know, 10 times over, right? And, and that's what I think um, the hard part for fans to recognize, and, and you've heard me say this, right? Like good coaches just don't grow on trees, right? Like good coaches that are dynamic, they have a good media personality that people rally around. But here's the thing that that is frustrating, right? Like to have good media personalities. That's a thing. I didn't know that. I mean, I, wouldn't know that I thought Mick had a good personality. I thought he was pretty entertaining at times. He was funky. Yeah, I liked him. And he, he was hated. He was hated nationally, which tells me he was doing something right. Continue, well, Corey. <laughs> uh, um, completely lost it. Oh, yeah. bummer. It's all right. It's no, okay. Here's what you're saying. You're saying they have to have a, you're basically saying head coaches don't grow on trees. They have to have a combination of, of attributes and you said you finished your statement was basically saying, you know, and they have to be good media personalities. You're basically starting to take this in the direction of saying this is like they're not they're it's hard to come by Hall of Fame coaches, basically. It right? is. It and is. We had one. And- we had one for two decades. Was it two decades? Yeah. Like two yeah. plus decades. Mick Cronin is probably pl- is coaching his way into being considered a Hall of Famer eventually. Like he's. He's at least in the conversation eventually. If he wins, if he he's wins the in the house, tournament, gets the, a national he's championship. A he's the household, the household he name. Household All right. Name he's not Hall of Fame yet, but he's household name. Sure. Yeah, I will not. I mean, now you're turning into a Mick guy. No, he's I not will, Hall of Fame. I, I, I was I saying not, it out loud and I was like, yeah. he's not even really close, but he's aggregating a lot of wins at this point. Now, now if he he's does trying to like he, uh, he's trying to uh, Cal Ripken his way into like being a hit king or something, whatever, or, you know, what do they call them? Aggregators? <laughs> like they just, yeah, I mean, if he has another, if he has another 20 years and he racks up 800 plus wins, like, you know, that that's a hard thing to, to argue against, but um, it's certainly important at a school like UC where you have so much competition for media dollars, right? You got X across town, you got Ohio state 90 minutes away, Bloomington two, two and a half uh, Louisville, 90 minutes, Kentucky 90 minutes, the Reds, the Bengals, 
my beloved Cyclones. I mean, you got a lot of money. Now we've got FC Cincinnati to compete with. The Western with. and Southern Tennis Open. Yeah, that's right. So you it it certainly helps the fan base to have a larger than life personality, somebody that you know people can relate to. And and let's be honest, people didn't take to Cronin the way that they took to Huggins, um, and that's fine, you know. But at the end of the day. And this is what I remind people. It doesn't matter who the athletic director is. Doesn't matter who the head coach is. Doesn't matter who the players are on the court. Like you have to be a fan of the program. You have to be a fan of, of the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program. And, you know, unfortunately, I think there's still too many people hanging on to the Bob Huggins era, similar to the, like the Reds, right? Like, I mean, shit, we still talk about the big red machine left and right because, that's all we have to like really hang on to. But like, are you a fan of the program? Are you a fan of the team? And, you know, we got to rally around these guys. And, and um, you know, I don't know if Brandon's a guy, but there's going to be somebody after him that we'll, we'll have to support too. Look, here, here's here's what here's uh, where I think. I, think it's just, okay I mean, uh, Corey just completely shit on the conversation we just had for – 20 minutes <laughs> it's all right i think it's okay to talk about past i think it's okay to talk about the past that's because you do love the program and you're reliving those moments by talking about them but with your point to like john brandon just to kind of bring it full circle it's weird if you were to if you're asking me today do i think john brandon is the guy the answer today is no i don't think he is the guy however that can change and i'm going to watch this team and i'm going to support them and i'm rooting for him to succeed because the opposite of him succeeding means going down a dark path of the 1980s again you know and right. i don't want to do that so i want john brandon to succeed i am very much rooting for him to turn the ship around i'm not rooting for his for his demise but as of today i don't see it i just don't see it I, all the signs are pointing that this is not the, the right direction at the for the program at this very moment and i'm hoping that that changes it's well big, go ahead Corey. well that it's a good point hummer right it's like he's the head coach and so for him to root to fail is similar like you know um the pilot flying the airplane you don't like him so <laughs> you you hope he doesn't succeed well you're going down with the airplane then right so like i'm not rooting against brandon because nobody wins at that standpoint and and when mick left and even though i didn't think it played out um the way it should have you know i my hope was and what i've said to a lot of people is i hope both programs succeed i hope mick goes off and has success I hope Brandon brings success to the UC basketball program. What I don't understand is when I do hear people say, you know, I hope Mick fails out there, or I think Mick's going to fail out there, whatever they might say. I'm like, what, 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 what did he do that has upset you so much that you are now wishing for the guy to fall on his face somewhere else? It's done. It's over. Move on. You know, I just, uh, that's I, I don't get it. You're right. I, you shouldn't actively root against Mick Cronin. And I think you're right, Corey, that largely we do get distracted by the greatness in the, in our past. I, I actually wanted to, I didn't expect to bring it up today, but the reason I brought this up after I did this and sent that long winded text, because I sent this long text to my, to my family, my dad and my uncle and like saying, here's the, here's the seedings. And then I followed it up and it wasn't meant to be a poke at Mick or, or whatever, or like a, a, you know, bowing down at the altar of Huggins, it actually ended up, I looked at it and said, oh my God, like 
it's getting worse. And it's, our bar has continually lowered and it's not a criticism of Mick. It's not a criticism even of Brandon. It's that the state and the health of the program appears to be in a different place than it was 20 years ago. And in a lot of ways, that's, that's obvious, but it's sort of like, well, how do we, how do we get this back? Like, I, I don't want to lose this. And I love this basketball program and I want to be in the elite of this, you know, in the country. And it really does seem like we need to find a way into a bigger conference. Um, but real quick pivot to the John Brandon stuff. You're saying rally around him, support him. And that's clear as day. I want this to work. It's in our best interest as a team and as a program. If John Brandon figures this out, the biggest thing we're trying to point out on this podcast is the, is the thin, the razor thin margin of error he has right now. Cause when you have departures like Zach Harvey and you're hitting the start over button on that, on that um, scholarship and you hear um, who's, who else is left. I mean, you have graduate transfers not working out. You He's have only game- had one graduate transfer. He's only had one transfer. Actually, he. Yeah, you team? said he said he one, transfer one transfer finishes play season. an entire season. That's Chris Vogt. <laughs> That's crazy. That's a but, crazy uh, piece of information. But Gabe Madsen is another one where his status is completely up in the air at this point. We have no idea if he's returning. And so if that's the case, you've got Zach Harvey and Gabe as two incoming freshmen who did not make it through their time at, at the University of Cincinnati. Um, you have the uncertainty swirling around David DeJulius, which we'll get into that another time. I mean, clearly mental health is important, but like we've sort of just accepted this reality now where if you say you're struggling with mental health, like, you know, that means you have to take, take a break, but at the same time, he's saying, I'll do anything I can to support these guys. Well, here we are now potentially going into ECU with seven scholarship players. He, maybe said, the most- that way. he said that if, you know, I think he also left it open to interpretation that <laughs> if this team were to go on a run and make it to the tournament, that he might come back. Right. And that's kind of, that's different, right? Like I don't understand how our results and what happens this season has anything to do with where you are individually from a mental health standpoint, Again, you have to just give the benefit of the doubt. He's going to be back. The margin of error is so, so thin. If you lose Atari, if you lose a Jeremiah, it, you know you have to retain everybody at this point because there are some exciting players. But then he has to absolutely hit it out of the ballpark in the transfer portal. Because incoming freshmen at this point, anybody we get, there might be one or two that could impact next season in a positive way. But by and large, freshmen aren't going to move the needle from if a making the tournament standpoint. Yeah, if he doesn't hit it out of the ballpark in the transfer market, if, if anybody wants a glimpse into the future of UC basketball, tonight is it. And it's not I'm not saying it from a from a from a standpoint of like effort or anything. Not not that. It's the fact that you're running with we're gonna have basically six returning players next year with experience playing basketball. Like that's that's what we're realistically gonna have. Six returning players who have experience playing on the court during, during college, Victor Locken is a freshman. I know he's, he's redshirted, but he's a freshman, right? I don't, you don't expect him coming off the gate and coming out and just swinging, you know, 20 minutes a game, a la Jaron Cumberland and making a huge impact. You're not going to expect even the transfers that are going to come off this off the transfer portal. They're going to take some time to get acclimated to the culture, acclimated to the system. And so they, they could be making an impact, but like by and large, if you don't knock it out of the ballpark, you have six players who have been playing for Coach Brandon for a year or two, and you're going to have a lot of fatigue. You're not going to have a lot of depth, and that's where I think the the razor thin margin is coming into play. Here is 
this is not trending upward for next year, in my opinion. Even if Davenport takes this monstrous leap, you know, he has you're talking for us to be really good. He has to take a Kemba Walker season of of God, you know, type leap in order to take to carry this team on his back next year. And I just don't think we're gonna see those types of leaps that's gonna all of a sudden propel this team to being middle of the conference to being okay, we're now competing with with Houston this the a la Houston this year or you know all of a sudden we're favored to win the conference it's not going to happen I just don't see it happening yeah we'll talk about it more on Sunday this podcast has already gone too long but I do want to do a breakdown basically of what Brandon needs to be looking for in the transfer portal it's clear as day there's plenty of shooting and and kind of offensive potential offensive weaponry on this team it's all about athleticism and it's all about um, d- defense at this point. You need the like defensive you, coordinator. Is that what he? I think that's what he needs. In and, and maybe, the maybe you know, a new assistant on the on the bench that can really coach. Larry Davis available. Corey, what do you? Anything you want to plug? I, I mean, we you got the microphone. We got some some special things cooking. I don't know how much we want to give away on that, but um, what do you what, what do you want to share? Uh, I just hope I didn't upset you so much tonight that it takes me another like six weeks to get invited back. That's, that's really what I'm hoping. Nah, nah, it was, there was nothing. Uh, you didn't upset me. I was actually, I, I love the energy we somehow got. I think it's going to be hilarious to listen to it for people. Hear us talk about Huggins and their results for 20, 25 minutes. And then you come kind of wrap it all up by saying like, look guys, we can't, focus on the past if we want to move this program forward <laughs> the the comedic perfection wait a minute. we're not done talking about this we're Chef gonna kiss. go for 10 more minutes yeah it's great anything else boys well Corey, you haven't even heard us wait till we get in in the offseason when we get into the 18 team versus the o2 team um, <laughs> can you not put that on the pod so we can have it to ourselves i want everybody to know it's coming up i want everybody to know we're taking the gloves off and we're going at it toe to toe uh, I'm taking the 18 team. Can we take the 02 team? We're going to fight this out and that that's going to be it. All right. We're going to determine wait. who was really the better team. I can't, I wait, can't for wait for that. Yep. Well, Corey, um, I want you to actually, again, remind people of the endowment you started for the equipment managers of the Bearcat basketball team. It's a really cool way of supporting Bearcat athletics. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, appreciate that. So uh, hopefully we can put the link back up there again. This is just a reminder that, you know, to, to help the program, hopefully take that next step forward. Like you said, Coomer and to raise the bar again, uh, let's call spade a spade, right? Like UC is in the lower threshold from an athletic budget versus some of these teams that we want to compete with and be with. And one way that I've tried to get back to UC is to start this manager endowment fund uh, where we're trying to raise money. So that way um, the basketball manager scholarship every year would get paid from the endowment rather than coming out of the, the budget of the basketball program. And, and it's super important. People might not realize this again, like, like football didn't have their first endowed scholarship until a few years ago. And so when you think about us trying to propel these programs and like basketball still does not have all their scholarships for the players endowed. Right. And those are things that if we want to take the program to the next level, it always comes back to money a little bit. So we'd love any support for um, the manager scholarship that we set up. It, it opens up the budget guys. That's what it does. It opens up the budget for things like private jets for recruiting trips. Okay. <laughs> That's what we need. So go on, click the link, donate some money, help endow our scholarships, open up the athletic budget, 
hey, look, if we can do a, a buck, just do a buck. If every UC fan does a buck, all right, and we do it once a year, we're going we're gonna to build some revenue here. I'm going to cut this and put it way earlier in the podcast because I'm pretty sure we just recorded for about an hour and a half. And I'm pretty sure at the very start of this, I said, all right, guys, you ready to do a quick 20, 30, something like that? <laughs> As always, I'm an idiot. Uh, As always, we, we went down the, the Ronan <laughs> versus Huggins rabbit hole. That's never a short conversation, ever. I won't apologize. I'm not apologizing for it. That was fun. Corey, you had a good time? Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. Let's leave it there until uh, until Sunday, Eastern, Eastern Carolina, East Carolina University. I don't even know their name. Um, Carolina. It's one of those universities. It's like completely on the periphery of my American Athletic Conference knowledge. Number Do I have to pay attention to you? Three in the Ken fear Hall. the pirates. <laughs> That's right. And honestly, we probably should fear the pirates. Until then, boys. Cheers. <laughs>